0: In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, well we are there in First Corinthians chapter number 7. And like we've been talking about for the last few weeks, we've been preaching through a series called Functional Family. And there's a dysfunction epidemic. There are dysfunctional families uh, all around us. And really, our, our culture and society and Satan has kind of uh, attacked the family to the place where many families don't, aren't functioning and aren't working together the way that God designed for them to work. Like we said last week, we talked about the heart and the, the, the ability of a heart being able to be stolen. And we talked about steps that we could take to not lose the hearts of our children or a husband to not lose the heart of his wife or vice versa. Uh, this morning, I want to deal specifically with the subject of marriage. So for those of you that are married, uh, the sermon is, is specifically for you. Next week, we're going to be talking about parenting. So if you're a parent, you have a child, uh, you want to make sure you're here next week. And we'll be talking about uh, biblical principles in regards to parenting. But maybe you're here this morning and you're not married, but you may get married, you know, or maybe you're a child. And you say, well, I'm not going to be married for a while, but you're, you're going to get married at some point And it would be good for even singles to just kind of tuck away these truths and maybe take some notes and have have these in their heart, to be able to guide them in regards to when they are married and when God brings them to the place of marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, if you look at verse 1, uh, he begins talking to the singles, and I'm not talking to the singles this morning, we will preach a sermon to the singles uh, during this series, but the Bible says there, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, and people say, well that's kind of old fashioned, that's kind of strict, if people followed that guideline, you'd, you wouldn't have any teenage pregnancy. Okay, you know what I mean? You wouldn't have, you know, children born out of wedlock. The Bible says it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication... Let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband. The the touching not a woman there is not a reference to, you can shake her hand, okay? He's talking about fornication, a physical relationship. In verse 3, he begins to talk to uh, the married couples. And that's really what I want to focus on uh, this morning, is verse 3 and and verses 4 and 5 also. Verse 3 says this, Let the husband... And I want you to make note of this word, render. If you uh, like to take notes in your Bible, you're not afraid to write in your Bible, uh, you know, circle that word render, or underline that word render. The word render means to provide, to give, or to deliver. It means to, to, to provide, it means to give to someone, it means you are giving up of something. It says, let the husband render, notice this, unto, his, uh, unto the wife. I want you to notice this word, Do. The word do means something you owe. Something you are bound to do. Something you are bound by duty to do. And Paul says, let the husband render. He says, I want the husbands to provide. I want the husbands to give. I want the husbands to deliver unto the wife. He says, I want you to give your wife something that's due her. Something that you owe her. Something that you are bound to do. It is your duty. He says, do benevolence. The word benevolence means goodwill or an act of kindness. Now notice this. And likewise, he's not just talking to the husbands, he says, Husbands, you have something that you need to provide for your wife. You owe it to her. It is her due benevolence. But then he says, likewise also the wife unto the husband. Do you see that? So, the apostle Paul is teaching, husbands are commanded by God to render due benevolence to their wives, to provide or to give or to deliver a benevolence that is due, that is owed, that they are bound to give, that they are, it is their duty to do. And at the same time, wives are commanded likewise to also render due benevolence to their husbands. According to the Bible, there is something that you, if you're married, or you, if you will one day be married, there is something that you owe your spouse. Husbands, there is something you owe your wife. There is something that she is due to be given from you. And also, wives, there are some things that you owe to your husband. It is, the, it is your duty. You are bound to deliver and to provide the benevolence that is given to them. Today in America, uh, 50 to 60% of marriages end in divorce, depending on what statistics you look at. Today, at least half, if not more than half, of marriages are ending. And you've got to understand this, okay? We're talking about people who at, at one point in their, ta- in their lives, at one point, were so in love, were so infatuated, were so, you know, wrapped into each other, that they were willing And hold a ceremony where they invited their friends and families. And before God and before men, they entered into a covenant. And they promised that I will be with you till death do us part. And those couples of those couples of those marriages, half of those, and maybe even more than half of those, are ending in divorce. And the reason is, the reason for every divorce, is that either one of the, uh, the people in the relationship, or possibly both, want to leave because they feel as though they've been ripped off. They feel as if they're not getting something that they deserve. They feel like, I didn't think this was how it was going to be. I thought it was going to be different. I thought being married was going to be different. I thought being a husband was going to be different. I thought she was going to treat me different. I thought he was going to treat me different. I thought the relationship was going to be different. And this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I feel like I'm being defrauded. I feel like I'm not getting my end of the deal. And if every husband and every wife felt like they were getting everything that they wanted out of a marriage, divorce would be non-existent. If every husband and every wife felt like they were being satisfied in their marriage, divorce would not exist. Marriages would last till the moment of death the success rate in marriages would skyrocket if everybody felt like they were getting something. Now here's the thing. We have this idea, well, if they feel ripped off, if they feel like they didn't get what they deserve, if they feel like, like I'm inadequate, or if she feels like, uh, like, like she can do better, or he feels like he can do better, then that's their problem. But here's what you got to understand. The Bible says it is your problem. Let the husband render. Let him provide. Let him deliver unto his wife the due benevolence that you owe her. If your wife feels like she's getting ripped off, sir, it's your fault. And ma'am, if he feels like he's not getting his share of the deal, it's your fault. Because you got to understand, marriage is not about having them satisfy my need. Marriage is me satisfying her need, you satisfying his need. Today, marriages are ending in divorce, and there's an attack on the marriage. Because there are families, there are women, there are men who feel that they are not getting what is due to them. They feel like they're getting ripped off. So here's the question. The question is this. What is it that I owe my spouse? As a husband, what is it that God requires of me that I should be providing for? What is that benevolence that is due to my wife? The question is this, for the wives, what is it that, that you owe your husband? What is it that God has commanded you to provide that need that, that you are to provide for your husband? And the, the good news to this dilemma is that God very specifically tells us exactly what it is that your husband requires and exactly exactly it is, what your wife requires. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter Number five. If you're you're in 1 Corinthians uh, 7, you want to go first, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Okay, you're in 1 Corinthians, go 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and go to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is probably the most descriptive part of Scripture about the roles of a husband and wife. And we're going to go through and look at some of it this morning. But in Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, teaches us what it is that we are to provide for your wife, if you're a husband, or your husband, if you're a wife. Now, I want you to notice, let's get down to verse number 33. We're going to go through some of the verses here, but I want you to notice, in verse 33, he kind of is wrapping up his conversation, he's wrapping up his idea here, he's bringing it all together, and, and he kind of gives us an overview uh, of, of what he's talking about, and he gives us a, uh, a reiterating of the point that he's trying to make. And in verse 33, the Bible says this, Nevertheless, and I want you to see this, Nevertheless, let every one of you, now at this point he's talking to the men, he's talking to the husbands, he's let every one of you in particular notice this so love his wife even as himself this may not come as a shock to you but I think when we get into a little more practical thing it may come a little bit as a shock but you need to understand this men your wife and women in general were built and designed so that they have a emotional need that needs to be satisfied, and that is that of being a feeling as though they are loved. All throughout the Bible, God commands men so love his wife, even as himself. Now notice this, ladies. And the wife this is where a lot of wives go wrong. And the wives see that she love her husband. Is that what it says? And the wives see that she reverence her husband. Women get this idea, well, I love, my, I, I love my husband, I love him, and I do this, and I do that for him. But you got to understand this, okay? What your husband needs from you, the emotional need that he needs, is not necessarily love as much as it is reverence. And we're going to get more into this, and don't cut me off, just listen to the whole sermon's context. I think it'll make sense here in a second. The problem is that a lot of men don't understand how to love. Because you've got to understand, men, you know... Despite what Hollywood or have you believe, and despite what the public school system is trying to, you know, indoctrinate our children, men and women are different. <laughs> do you understand that? We are not built the same, we are not wired the same, we do not think the same. Men work off of this emotion called reverence. The word reverence is a, a deep respect. Men, more than they need love, they need to feel as though they are respected. And women need love. Now, that's not to say that women don't need respect and men don't need love because the Bible teaches those things also. But as you study the scriptures that have to do with marriages, you will find that the primary thing that God tells uh, men to do for their wives is love, 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 love. Now, he later on, and we'll look at it here in a bit, he later on says that you are to honor your wife, which means to respect her. And we understand that. We're not advocating disrespecting women. But you need to understand this. Women, what they need more than respect is love. And what men need more than love is respect. And see, here's the problem. Men are in a need or in an appetite of respect. And a lot of times what a good husband does, and he's confused and he says, I don't understand why I have so many problems with my wife. I love her, but what you're showing to her is not love. It's love in the way you perceive it because what you're showing to her is respect. Here, here's what husbands who are going to end up divorced say to, say to me. Well, I don't understand why she's so upset for her. She's so upset about it. She acts like I don't love her. I provide for her, don't I? I go to work every day, and I work hard, and I bring money, and I have this house for her, and I have this car for her. And, and you should provide for her, and you should do all that. But you need to understand this. That's respecting her. And you can give her everything she needs. But you still have to show love, because what she desires, what she needs, is love. And women say, well, well, I love my husband, I'm constantly trying to cuddle with him, and I'm constantly trying to spend time with him, and I'm constantly trying to do with him. But then you disrespect him. Then you embarrass him. Then you talk mad about him. Well, I, but I love him. But he doesn't you know what he needs from me. He doesn't need love. He needs reverence. And when we learn how we communicate, and when we learn what it is that your needs are, we'll begin to be able to function as a marriage. Now notice, you say, well, my wife needs love. What what does that mean? God goes through and explains to the men very thoroughly what it is to love your wife because men sometimes are a little hard-headed. He has to give us some examples. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5. He said, well, I love my wife. Do you? Ephesians 5, 25 says this. Husbands, love your wives. I'm doing that. Okay, are you doing it this way? Even as, you see this, gives you an example. I want you to love your wife, even as, or in the same way, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. See, men, women perceive love through sacrifice. What you're looking for is, what they're looking for is sacrificial love. Jesus Christ gave himself for the church. And that's what they're, and and, and you say, well, I'd be willing to die for my wife. you're willing to die for your wife, why aren't you willing to sacrifice for her without dying? Uh, let me just let me just cause cause you know you said, Well, Pastor I thought this was an independent fundamental Women are to submit. The Bible says all that. Well, I'm, I'm, i her job is to submit to me. But listen, when's the last time that you, sir, didn't get your way? Well, she's supposed to do it. I, I understand that. But when's the last time that you, as a leader, as having the authority and having the ability to to make all the decisions, when's the last time you chose, you chose to sacrifice your well-being or your incon- you were inconvenienced to convenience your wife? When is the last time you gave up or you did something or you lost on a deal to make sure that your wife succeeded? You said, well, I don't have to. I'm the leader. Did Jesus have to? Did Jesus have to come to this earth and, and be humbled and, and take the hard road of the cross as a showing of a love for us? He did not have to, but He chose to. You say, well, I provide for her, and I am a nice car for her, and I give her nice clothes. But see, whenever, whenever it comes to whether you win or she wins, you always win and she always loses, and you don't understand why she doesn't perceive that as love. Because the love that she's looking for and the love that God has, the benevolence that God has required for you to show to your wife is a love, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Say, yeah, well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, then God gives you another example, because He knows you're a little hardhead. Look at verse 28. You don't understand the love that Jesus have the church. You, you will understand this love. So ought men to love their wives even as their own bodies. So ought men to love their wives even as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Some of you got to write that down somewhere. Memorize. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth even as the Lord the church. See a love, you are to love your wife men as Christ loved the church but you are also to love as you love yourself and this is a considerate love and this is a word that we are not used to <laughs> as men being considerate <laughs> understanding her needs and her desires and her wants and I, and I, and I really want to I, I want you to understand this as men because the Bible says here that we are to the Bible says nourisheth do you see that word nourisheth the word nourishes means to strengthen, to build up, to promote, and cherish it. The word cherish means to hold or treat as dear. It, it's interesting because it's the same word that the Bible uses, and I'm not have, have you turn there. But in Ephesians six four, it's the same word. That word nourish is the same word that is translated as to bring them up in reference to a father to his children. It's the same word in 1 Thessalonians 2, seven that we we'll "cherisheth" cherish it, about husbands and wives in Ephesians is the same word that is used about a mother with her children. Now I'm not saying that a husband is to treat his wife like a child but the idea is this, when God gave you that child, you say, well, that child is supposed to submit. Yes they are, but here's the point. The purpose of your relationship is to raise that child, to bring them to the place where they are productive, where they are successful to do for them what they could not do for themselves in order to be able to help them to succeed. Husbands, when the last time you looked at your ministry, which God calls your wife, and you realized that your job is, that she's not there to serve you. She's not there, God did not give you an indentured servant. Do you understand that? I think a lot of Baptist churches, we get to say, well, God gave me a slave, and He called her my wife. God gave you a help me, that it is your job to nurture, and to bring her up. To see her succeed in life. Because here's the thing. When she succeeds in life, you succeed in life. Mama's happy. Everyone's happy. <laughs> you say, well, I, 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 I respect her and I make sure she's taken care of. It. You know, you do well to work less hours and spend more time with your wife. You do well to earn less money and spend more time with your wife. There's a whole lot of single rich guys out there that understood the philosophy and the concept of respect, but never understood the philosophy and the concept of love. God requires you to give sacrificial love. God requires you to give considerate love. Keep your finger there in Ephesians. I know you got your finger in different places. but put a bulletin or something because we're going to be going back and forth from First Corinthians to Ephesians. but go to first Peter. From the back of your Bible in the book of Revelation, you got revelation, you got Jude, you got first, second and third John, first, second Peter. okay? You got Jude, Revelation, Jude, first second, third John, first, second Peter. Go to First Peter chapter three. Look at verse seven. Considerate love sees her potential and helps her reach that potential considerate love, looks at your wife as the ministry that God has given you, to see her succeed in life. She's not there to serve you. Now, when she supposed to submit? Yes, she is. Like children. And I'm not calling her a child. Please understand that. But in the same way that children are to submit, but would you say that your child is your slave that God gave you? There to better my life and there to make my life easier? My children are to submit to me, yes, but am I not there to build them up? Well, husbands, that's exactly what you are to your wife. Well, Pastor, I, I thought we were coming to a Baptist church, and I brought my. But the only reason I came is because you were preaching on marriage, and I just wanted her like, to hear that she needs to submit. No, you need to hear that it is your job to invest your life into her and to give to her sacrificially and to be considerate. Now, here's the thing with being considerate: it comes. It's not easy for us. That's why God had to explain to us. If it came naturally, He wouldn't have to mention it. First Peter chapter three, look at verse seven. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. 1 Peter 3.7 The Bible says Likewise ye husbands Notice this Likewise ye husbands Dwell with them According Knowledge Do you see that? Dwell with them according to knowledge Giving honor unto the wife Even as unto the weaker vessel As being heirs together Of the grace of life That your prayers be not hindered The Bible says that we are to dwell with them According to knowledge Here's what, here's what you need to understand man We Do not speak the same language as women. We interpret love or affection by camaraderie. We determine we 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 spend time together and we feel like we're having you know guys can come can come to work and 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 spend three hours together and not say one word to each other and they are having the best time. Women, they hate each other. If, they, if two women are in the same room for three hours and didn't say one word to each other, they are like mortal enemies. Because women perceive love through communication. See, having your wife sit next to you on the couch while you've been playing video games for two hours is not quality time for her. In order to dwell with her, according to knowledge, there has to be communication. You have to see. When you were here's what I know about you. When you were dating your wife, you were chasing after. You wanted to know what she liked, who she liked, what ice cream she liked, what color she liked, what flowers she liked. You wanted to know everything about her because you were a lion on a hunt. Got married, and the lion turned into a hippo. <laughs> I don't, I don't mean that physically. You stop chasing. You stop caring. You got more interested in other things. You started chasing other things. And you've got hobbies, and you've got careers, and you've got this, and you've got that. You have a wife sitting at home who's well-kept, not loved. It's considered love. It requires learning about her thoughts. Learning about what she thinks, what she wants, her desires. Now notice, I want you to notice before we leave there, 1 Peter 3 says. Notice this. Likewise he husbands. Go with them according to knowledge. Giving, notice this, giving honor. Okay? We're not, you say, well, women need love, they don't need respect. No, they need honor, but notice that the word honor means uh, it has to do with money, but not just the fact that you should take care of her financially, although you should take care of her financially, but that you should see the value in her. You should respect her. You should but notice, God says, love, 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 love. Oh, by the way, honor. And we'll see here in a second that God says, submit, 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 submit reverence. And then he tells the ladies and Titus that, oh, by the way, teach the woman to love their husband. It's not that men don't need love, but the primary thing they need is reverence. And it's not that women don't need honor and respect, and you ought to honor and you ought to respect. And it is a low man that uses the Bible to say, well, I'm the authority figure to abuse or to misuse his wife. Notice what he says. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Notice, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Do you understand that Jesus died for her as much as He died for you? Do you know that she is an heir of the kingdom of heaven as much as you are an heir of the kingdom of heaven? Do you understand that she is a child of God as much as you are a child of God? It is not our job to see our wives as our indentured servants. It is our, our job to see them as a ministry that God gave us, as a person that God put in our heart, yes to be our help me, and yes to submit, but for us to invest into them and to sacrifice for them and to see them become what God has called them to be. God created her to be your help me. Not your slave. You're there in on 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Say, what, what is it that the husbands uh, need to know? The husbands need to know this. Your wife requires from you love. And if your wife is not happy in your marriage, it is probably, no matter what she says, no matter what she says, it is this one thing. She does not feel loved. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to make you upset. I'm just trying to help you and explain to you what the Bible says. Now notice to the wives. What is it that the wives are to give to their husbands? Notice 1 Peter 3.1. Likewise, you wives be in subjection. You see the word subjection there? It means to follow the authority. I know that this is not popular today. I know that. Well, Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil, and I don't really care. The Bible says that they are to be in subjections to your own husbands, alright? So I can't believe that you're saying. The Bible says that we are to preach the Bible to be instant, in season, out of season, whether it's popular or not, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. You can't get away from this, ladies. Look at verse 5. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, notice, being in subjection unto their own husbands. All throughout the Bible. The Bible teaches that wives are to be in subjection unto their own husbands. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. You say, well, what does it mean to be under the subjection? What does it mean to submit? It means to, to, to place yourself under the authority of your husband. God gave you a husband to be your authority. That's what the Bible teaches. And you've got to understand this about any organization, any, any group, any, any, anything in the world. There has to be a leader. Someone said this. An, an animal with two heads is a monster. And an animal with no head is dead. And that's how most marriages are. Either there's two heads and there's two leaders, or there's no head and there's no leader. And that's not what God created. God, the Bible teaches that the husband is to be the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Are you there in Ephesians Chapter 5, look at verse 22. Why submit yourselves unto your own husbands? Now, we don't understand this. Women sometimes don't understand this. You say, well, my husband is not someone worth submitting to. You understand? He's not, he doesn't, he doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve that authority. He's not the man that he should be. He's not the spiritual leader that he should be. He's not the, 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 he doesn't deserve that type of respect. But notice, the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. Notice, as unto the Lord. Do you see that? Is the Lord Jesus Christ someone worth submitting to? Is the Lord Jesus Christ someone worth reverencing? Because it is the Lord Jesus Christ who commanded you to submit to your husband. So when you say, well, he's not worth submitting to, but you are to submit to him as unto or in the same way which you would submit unto the Lord. Because when you submit to your husband, really, really, you're submitting to the Lord. Why submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord? Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Notice, in everything. You ought to submit to your husband in everything. Everything your h- husband asks you to do, you ought to submit to it. Now, now, now listen to me very carefully, okay? Stay there in the Ephesians, go, go to the book of Colossians. You've got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Because I think sometimes we take things a little too far, and you need to understand this especially for the ladies. Your husband, you are to submit to your husband in everything, the Bible says. But that is not a blanket statement or a blank check that just allows him to do whatever he wants. Because in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says this, Colossians 3.18, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, now notice this phrase, as it is fit in the Lord. you see that? Your submitting to Him needs to fit within the boundaries of what the Lord would have you submit to Him. Peter put it this way, you don't have to turn there, but in in Acts 5.29, Peter was, was told to submit to the government officials. But the government officials were asking him to do something that went against what God had commanded him to do. And Peter said this, we ought to obey God rather than men. We are to submit to the government as long as the government doesn't ask us to do something that goes against what the Bible says. You understand that? And wives, you are to submit to your husbands as long as they don't ask you to do something that goes against the word of God. Your husband says, hey listen, I would really appreciate it if we could have dinner at 6 p.m. Hey, just submit to him. He would say, well, I I like to eat at 6.15. Hey, just give him those 15 minutes and submit to him and everything. You understand what I'm saying? But if your husband says, Hey, I would like to start selling cocaine from the garage. <laughs> well, no, you don't have to submit to that. God would not have you to do that. Do you understand, man? We get this idea, Well, he's the boss and he can do whatever he wants in his home. No, as to the Lord. Add it as it is fit in the Lord. Yeah. We have to obey God rather than man. And when your husband goes out of the boundaries of what God has allowed him to do, then your authority is God, not man. And by the way, that's business, that's work, that's marriage, that's children, that's everything. But as long as they're within their authority of what God has given them, hey listen, you are to submit to them in everything. You say, well why would God have us submit? Because here's the thing. When a woman learns to submit to her authority, the authority of her husband that God has placed above her, she is feeding into him a respect, a reverence, that God has put in that man that he needs. You Nobody know needs more than your cuddle. You Nobody know needs more than your, you know, lovey dovey things you like to say to him. <laughs> you do not disrespect him. He needs you to fall under his authority. You say, well, he's not worth doing it, but, but Jesus Christ is worth doing it. And as long as he doesn't fall under the bounds of, of the Word of God. L- listen, you're, you say, well, my, my husband is this, my husband Look, if your husband is not asking you to do something that goes against the Word of God, then you just submit to him. As soon as he passes those bounds, hey, we ought to obey God rather than men. As it is fit in the Lord. You submit as it is fit in the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Go to First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Let me give you an example that you may or may not like, but you probably didn't like most of the sermon anyway, so... You'll like the one about the children, don't worry. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 4. First Peter chapter 3, look at verse 4. First Peter 3, 4, the Bible says this. We're talking about wives giving the due benevolence to their husbands, that is reverence, respect. Notice how Sarah did this. First Peter 3, 4, the Bible says, But let the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of... Notice this phrase, okay? A meek and quiet spirit. that, That is your goal, ladies. That is what God has ordained for ladies. That should be what describes you. A meek and quiet spirit. Which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Notice, how did she do that? She was in subjection unto their own husbands. Verse 6, even as Sarah, he's given us an example of how she subjected unto her own Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Notice, calling him Lord. Now look, I'm not saying that you need to go home and start referring to your husband as the Lord. <laughs> But you know, the the word Lord for us sounds real like, oh, Lord, but you need to understand the word Lord simply means this, sir. It's like, it's like you're, it's just you submitting unto the the earthly authority. It's like when you go to work, you know, see, this is why guys understand this. You go to work, and and your boss says, hey, I need you to do this. and, And you say, no problem, boss. And you say, well, I have no problem saying that. Some of you ladies say that to your boss. No problem, boss. You have no problem. That's exactly what Sarah said. She called him Lord. She so was just saying, you're my boss. You're my Lord. You're, you're the one that got his place and the authority over him. And when she did that, notice, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters he are, as long as you do, and we're not afraid with amazement, when she did that, she reverenced her husband. And here's what you got to understand, okay? God... Expects women and wants women to give reverence to their husband. Go, go to the book of Proverbs with me just real quickly. Proverbs. It's in the Old Testament. If you open up just right in the middle of the Bible you'll more than likely fall the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms you got the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9 and look at verse number 13. See, we live in a society where women have been taught to do the opposite of what the Bible says. And men have been taught to be inconsiderate. Men have been taught to not sacrifice for their wives. Men have been taught, if it's between football and my wife, I'm going to choose football. And you wonder why she doesn't feel loved. Like it. If it's between the guys and my wife, I'm going to choose the guys. And then you wonder why she doesn't feel loved. Like. Now you need to understand this. And I don't want to say this to 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 the to everyone the men, the ladies, kids. Listen, Proverbs nine thirteen says this A foolish woman is clamorous. The word clamorous means making a loud and confused noise. She is simple. That's simply saying she's dumb. And knoweth nothing. A foolish woman is clamorous. Now listen to me. First Peter said that women are to have a meek and quiet spirit. Now I just want... Ladies, I want to help you understand this. No man wants to be around. And you say, well this is not political. I know it's not political, but just listen to me please. No man wants to be around a loud and obnoxious woman. I can't believe you said that. I'm trying to save your marriage. And if I'm not saving your marriage, listen to me, you young single guys and you boys that aren't married. You start being around some girl and she is clamorous. She is loud. She is obnoxious. I'm I'm telling you, do yourself a favor and run screaming and yelling in the other direction. She will ruin your life. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple. She is loud. She she makes a confused noise and knows nothing. Look at Proverbs 11. You're there in Proverbs 9. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 22. Proverbs 11, verse 22. Proverbs 11, verse 22. Proverbs 11, verse 22. A jewel of gold and a swine's snout. That sounds appealing. So is, or this this is the description that God would choose to give of a fair. Woman, a pretty woman, she's like a jewel of gold, but in a swine's Now, A fair woman that is without discretion. The word discretion means the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way to avoid causing offense. You ever met a woman who just can't close her mouth? She's constantly just offending people. You're this, you're that, you look this way, you're just constantly offending people. Look, the Bible says that you want to stay away from that type of woman. You want a fair... You say, "Why well, she's fair! If she doesn't have discretion, stay away. And, and ladies, don't be like that. Look at Proverbs 12. Look at verse 4. Proverbs 12, verse 4. Proverbs 12, verse 4. Proverbs 12, verse 4 says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. The word ashamed means to embarrass. Ladies, if you take one thing from the sermon, take this. Stop embarrassing your husband. Well, Pastor, I love him so much. I just, you know, I'm just going around telling everybody and he doesn't have have a job and he doesn't doesn't work and he's lazy and he he doesn't provide for us. It's because I love him. I'm trying to help him. You're a rottenness to his bones. Don't embarrass him. Don't talk about your husband to your mom, to to his in-laws, about how he doesn't provide or he doesn't do this. Don't go around telling your girlfriends about all the problems your husband has. I love him, I just want to see him. No, you're, you're being irreverent. You're disrespecting him. And you're becoming a rottenness to his bones. And, and, and you know, you, you, you complain, you, you complain, and you say, well, he doesn't make any money. He didn't make any money when you married him. You should have made that decision a long time ago. You should have thought about that before you got in bed, before you went down the aisle. Do you understand that? He didn't have a job before you married him. Why are you complaining about him not having a job now? And by the way, I, I just advise. you, listen, girls, if, if, if you are single, or you're a girl, don't marry a man that does not, does not have a job. I don't, I don't think you should. Have, I'm just telling you right now, you'll save yourself a lot of problems. If he doesn't have a job before you get married, he's not going to get one afterwards. I'm, I can say that, so I'm blue in the face. I'm trying to help you. You can get a girl without a job. Why would he get a job? Look at Proverbs 21, verse 9. Proverbs 21, verse 9. Proverbs 21 verse 9. It is better. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop. It is better to rent the attic of a house than with a brawling woman in a wide house. See, so is, is it better to live in a little tiny shack by myself or to live in a big old wide house with a brawling woman? God says it's better to be in the corner of a house. Top. I'm just trying to help you ladies. No man wants to come home to a woman who's brawling, who's angry, who's mad, who's contentious, who's loud, who is not, that is not appealing to men. They're looking for a woman that has a meek bike spirit. It is better to dwell in the wilderness. Verse 19, skip down. Verse, Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to dwell in the corner of the house than with a brawling woman in a white house. Proverbs 21.19 says this. Just to, just to reiterate, just because God wants to make sure we get this. Proverbs 21.19 says, It is better to dwell in the wilderness. It is better to not even have a house. It is better to go live in the forest. It is better to go live in, in the desert. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious, the word contentious means causing loud argument, than with a contentious and an angry one. She's always mad. Well, you know, she, she was like that before you married her. But she was so pretty. Yeah, 20 years ago. I get that. <laughs> Proverbs 27, look at verse 15. Proverbs 27, look at verse 15. Proverbs 27, 15 says, "A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Now here's what your goal should be. And all you... Ladies and all you young ladies that aren't married, here's what your goal should be. Go back to Proverbs 11. Look at verse 16. Proverbs 11, look at verse 16. Proverbs 11, verse 16. A gracious woman retaineth honor. Did that word gracious? It's the same idea of that meek and quiet spirit. You ever met a woman who just has grace about her? Do not allowed to obnoxious No, she's just a grace. A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retain riches. Go to Proverbs 31. Look at verse 10. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Proverbs 31, verse 10. The Bible says, Who can find a virtuous woman? Who can find a virtuous woman? Here's the honor. Here's the seeing her value. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Do you find a virtuous woman... Don't let that one go. Do what you got to do to keep that one. Her price is far above ruins. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. Isn't that what every husband wants to be able to say about their wife? I can trust her when I'm at work. I can trust her with the credit card. I can tr- You see what I'm saying? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that she shall have no need of spoil. In verse 12, she will do him good and not evil. See, the thing about marriage is this, we're not against each other, we are to be working with each other, for each other, to see our success as a family. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Look, Skip down to verse 26. Say, what, what is a virtuous woman? And we could preach out of Proverbs 31 and the whole thing, and I'm not going to do that. One of these things we will. But her prizes for rubies she will do him good and not evil. Look at verse 26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Graceful, meek, spirit. That's what God wants for ladies. Here's what he doesn't want: loud, obnoxious, clamorous, odious. Look at verse 30. Favour is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Here's a mom teaching her son. She says, look, Solomon, if you have to choose between a girl that's pretty and a girl that fears the Lord, he says, find the one that fears the Lord. Now, every once in a while, every once in a while, some guys, like me, luck out where they get a girl that's beautiful and here's the Lord. People ask me, like, well, why, you know, why did you guys ma- get married, you know, when you were 18? Why did you get married two weeks after you graduated high school? Because I, I kind of needed to seal the deal before she woke up, you know what I mean? Before she, like, realized, like, what am I doing? <laughs> see, here's the problem, men, they look at the physical and they say, oh, she's so pretty, but her spirit is, you ever, you ever, uh, you know, I I often think this about me and my wife, but you ever see those, um, those couples where it's like, it's like, you know, a beautiful woman and just like an ogre of a guy? (laughs) Like, how did she get her? Because women are a little wiser when it comes to, they realize that beauty fades, but they find a guy that takes care of her and she'd rather have that, Uh, you know, and that's kind of what this mom is trying to teach Solomon. He says, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So I, I want a woman that's beautiful and fears the Lord. Well, those, those are really far above rubies. And if you find that one, make sure you marry her before she wakes up. Yes, for sure. But if you've got to choose, if you've got to choose, you, you've got to marry her before whatever you slip into her drink wears off. Well, we get that. But if you have to choose, choose the fear of the Lord above a fair countenance. Here's the goal. Here's the goal. A marriage will be successful when a husband and a wife live their lives every day try to answer this question. How can I meet my spouse's needs? Mm-hmm. Notice you said, well, my job, you know, I, I want you to tell my wife that she's supposed to submit to me. But notice, that wasn't written to you men, that was written to the women. God tells the women to submit to the husbands. God tells the men to love their wives. So why don't you worry about loving your wife and maybe if you love her in the way that she perceives as love, maybe she'll start giving some of that reverence back. Ladies, you start giving some of that reverence, even though it's not dessert, you start giving some of that reverence, you might start getting some of that love back. Because you're going to begin to speak his language. You're going to begin to speak the way that he understands. Now go back to First Corinthians chapter 7. We're almost done. We're going to look at First Corinthians 7 and we're going to look at one more verse in Ephesians and we'll be done. Not only is there an emotional need, and I want to just deal with this quickly. Not only is there an emotional need in marriage. Women need love, yes, they need honor, but primarily they need to feel as though they are loved. And and men need love. The Bible says that the elder women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. So, yes, men need love, but primarily they need to feel reverence, primarily they need to feel respected, and they don't feel that, ladies, when you're going around talking about them to their, you know, to your in-laws or their in-laws or your friends, they don't don't feel that when every time you come home, it's a fight, and it's a battle, and it's angry, and I'm contentious, and I'm mad all the time. You don't feel that? But there's more than just an emotional need. You need to understand, there's also a physical need. Notice what Paul said First 1 Corinthians 7. Look at verse 4. The wife has not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also, the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now I want you to notice this word, verse 5. You see this word, defraud. You know what the word defraud means? It means to rip off. It means to steal from. See, there is something that you owe your wife. There is a a rendering that is due her and ma'am, there is a rendering that is due him and part of that is emotional, the love and the reverence, but part of that is also physical. And the Bible teaches that you ought not to defraud your spouse. Notice, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time. That ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again and Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Here's what you need to understand, okay? The Bible teaches that there is not, this is not a healthy marriage when you are not being physically together, fulfilling your spouse's physical needs. It's not healthy and it's actually a sin. The Bible says, defraud ye not one another. You say, well, I just didn't feel like it. Okay, the wife hath not power of her own body, is what verse 4 says. Why doesn't it feel like it? The husband hath not power of his own body, is what verse 4 says. So, because you don't have power over your. See, when you got married, you became one flesh. Your body became much of his body as his body became of your body. And it says here, look, he hath not power over his body, she hath not power, defraud ye not one another. You ought to, in a marriage, you ought to have this understanding that it is your job to render that due benevolence. That physical need, yes, the emotional need, but also that physical need, don't rip your spouse off. Don't defraud them by keeping that. And some women will, well, I'm mad at him and I'm going to punish him by, (laughs) that's wrong. Why? We we just don't... We haven't been together and that's not healthy. That's not right. (laughs) Defraud ye not one another. Now notice, accept and be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. The only exception to this that Paul gives us is during a time of fasting because the purpose of fasting is to deny yourself a physical need he says don't eat food and then don't have a physical relationship with your spouse he said only during fasting if you, both of you consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer he said otherwise you need to come together again and same consent you not and what that tells me is this, it ought to, it, this is the physical relationship between a husband and wife ought to be having often enough to, well, let's say this how long would you go without eating I don't know many people that fasted for 40 days. Some of you can't skip lunch. And yet you go weeks without being physically with your spouse. The Bible says you're defrauding. See, it is your job, wife, and it is your job, husband, to render the due benevolence to meet the emotional need of your wife and the emotional need of your husband, but it is also your job to meet the physical need of your husband and the physical need of your wife. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 21. We're done right here. How can I meet my spouse's physical and emotional need? How can I meet my spouse's physical and emotional need? Well, she needs to be submitting, The question is not how can she meet her need. The question is this, how can you meet her need? The question is, how can you, ma'am, meet his physical and emotional need? Can you imagine, can you imagine... A marriage. Notice Ephesians chapter 5. Now here's what's interesting about Ephesians 5, okay? In verse 21, the Apostle Paul begins by saying this about marriages. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then he goes on in verse 22, and for the next few verses, talking about how wives are to submit to their husbands. And it almost seems like there's a contradiction here. Because he's saying wives are to submit to their husbands, submit to their husbands, submit to their husbands. But before he got there, he said submitting yourselves one to another. But you got to understand, even though the word submit is the same word submit, the the, the idea of submitting is putting myself under the authority. Yes, that's true. The wife has to submit to her husband. But the idea there also is putting myself under their burden to see them succeed. The submitting yourselves one to another is this idea. And could you imagine, just imagine a marriage, what a marriage would look like when a husband every day woke up and said, how can I submit myself? Not in the the fact that she's my authority and I'm going to listen to her. Not in the fact that we're, this is a 50-50 marriage. But in the idea that I'm going to bring myself down, I'm going to lower myself, I'm going to deny my needs to meet her physical and emotional needs. And in that same marriage, the wife said, today... I will submit myself. I will lower myself. I will humble myself. Not to get my needs met, but to meet his physical and emotional. Could you imagine what America marriage would look like? Every husband and wife every day woke up and tried to answer this question how can I meet my spouse's physical and emotional? needs? I think, I think that in that marriage, a wife could submit to her husband without the fear of being abused. All life is to meet her physical I think that in that marriage, a husband could trust his wife and could realize that she's there not to hurt him, not to disrespect him, not to make him feel as if he's inadequate. The goal that God has for marriage is this where you're not upset because I'm not getting what I deserve and I'm not getting what I need and I'm not getting what I thought I should have got in this marriage, but when you wake up every day saying, as a husband, how can I meet my wife's physical and emotional needs today? And when a wife wakes up and says, today, today, how can I reverence my husband? Today, how can I sacrificially love my wife? Some you are in marriages that are shaky. Some of you are in good marriages, some of you are not married. But I would, I would challenge those of you that are married, especially if you're in that shaky marriage, but really all of you, I would challenge, here's a challenge. You don't have to talk about this with your wife or your husband. You don't have to talk. Just, just be quiet on the way home, okay? Don't, don't talk about this. But here's a challenge. Would you for the next seven days, next Sunday, every day, wake up, ask yourself this question. How can I meet my spouse's physical or emotional needs today? For the next seven days. For the next seven days. Every day. Say, no, no. What what can I get her to do for me? No, no, no. How can I get her to serve me? No, no, no. How can I meet her? How can I sacrifice for her? How can I have knowledge of her needs? How can I be considerate of her for the next seven days? How can I meet her physical and emotional needs? And wives, if you would wake up every day for the next seven days, how can I meet my husband's physical, emotional needs? me. And don't, don't do it in this way where it's like, there, I did it today! <laughs> but I just have this idea, I just have this idea. That if marriages, if marriages one to the other, not in the form of authority, but in the form of, I'm here to help you succeed and have a feeling that we would have a revival of marriages. There'd be a revival of intimacy. There'd be a revival of commitment. If we were constantly thinking, how can I meet my spouse's physical and emotional needs? Let's talk. Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that the subject of marriage is not popular today. People don't like to talk about it. Everybody has a story, and I understand. I don't know what everybody's going through, and I don't understand what everybody's dealing with. But I know this, the Word of God is true. And I know this, that I cannot... I'm The only person I can control and the only person I can worry about is myself. And there are some husbands in this room and there are some wives in this room who say my husband is not the spiritual leader that he used to be. He's not pulling his weight. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. And there are some husbands who say my wife is not doing what she's supposed to do. But We can't worry about that. All we can worry about is this. How can I render due benevolence? Help us have a heart for our